Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, Loose Ends, the weekly spin-off podcast, which, given that the country appears to be spiraling into different patchy iterations of lockdowns again, uh, this could be going for a while. So, Dad, how the bloody hell are you? I am pretty good. Okay. Um, I had this morning a guy who sort of was like a um, like a high rolling uh, gangster. Okay. Drive down the street in his somewhat magnificent black Mercedes. Yep. But he had the music so loud that the bed was shaking and the windows were rattling. I mean, I just can't fathom. How someone can be so... I just... I don't understand humans. How they drive into a very, very quiet street. It's it's pretty dark. They drive to the bottom, they park, and then they just idle and the music's pumping. Then this guy gets out of the car. As I said, he looked like some... Look, he just looked like a gangster. And he's standing and looking around as though he's looking for, for sort of adulation. And he doesn't turn the music off. So what he's done, in effect, he's woken an entire street. He just doesn't care. So that that was the start of the day. You know, I just went up to get coffee, and I was a little bit disappointed with the lack of mask wearing this morning. I think our area's been pretty good, and then all of a sudden today, and things are mm. kind of... Because people think that it's sort of moving out west, the whole thing. So right. um, I think there's a little bit of sort of... People are becoming a bit laissez-faire. It's, the thing the is, thing. It, it, it's spreading out west. It's not moving out west. It's not gentrifying the suburbs. It's, you know. And now a removalist is, you know, we could talk about COVID all day, but we won't mm. because it's bloody depressing. Dad, mm. I've got some great questions for you. Would you like me to kick in? Paul, I, that's why I'm here. I love it. Okay, excellent. Now, this was a multiple kind of... <sighs> It's very cheeky. Uh, this listener, Gene, has basically shoved four questions into one question. Uh, and I'm sitting here and I'm kind of, I'm not sure which one to ask first. I mean, he's wanted to know why I don't drive. And uh, I, think there are, I think there are lots of people that want to know that, Paul, um, y- including yeah. me. I'd like to know why. But you two, what was it like teaching me to drive? Cause you horrific, ta- horrific. What are you talking about? It was scary um, because you're so tall and we had such a gimp mobile. Oh, shut up. Your legs, fine. your knees were sort of, you, you, could, you sort of had to part your legs to, to look over your knees to see the road. In fact, it was almost clown-like, the car that we taught you. I say we, mum and I, both um, tried in vain. Um, We used to take you up to North Head, didn't we? Do you find something comical about my appearance when I'm driving my automobile? 
Everybody needs to drive a vehicle, even the very tall. Should I therefore be made the subject of fun? You're not that tall, Paul. Not a Simpsons fan? Okay. You're not a yeah. giant. No, it's... Look, you took me out to North Head and I think we were driving... What car was it? It wasn't the Ute. It wasn't no, it was, Ute. and that was a tiny little thing. Yeah, it was a little kind of uh, hatchback. Small, very, of very small. And I had um, no problem... I, I, Dad, I had no problem driving. I'm a, Look, the ADHD makes it a bit easy to get distracted, but at one point, I think Grandma paid for me to have driving lessons did. with this yep. old Eastern European dude and we would drive around the suburbs of... It was kind of up near, it was near North Manly. It was kind of in that area mm. around the back streets. And there's lots of hills around there. In fact, at one point we went down, there's a case in Electric Blue at the start of Electric Blue, which involves you driving down a hill and finding a headless body that has been knocked mm. off a motorcycle, right? Mm. Yep. Uh, and we, we used to drive past that that hill all the time. Mm. We'd, we'd, I'd drive up and down that road and that really kind of threw me off, mm. but- yeah, I, I never, I never kept going when I moved to Melbourne. I just, you know. But Paul, you are a very, very good backseat driver. In fact, what I'd like to do is mm-hmm. get you a little plastic steering wheel and have it, um, because you, Tegan drives and you sit to her left. Um, and then, of course, if we're ever in Melbourne with you, yeah, then I'm in the back. Yeah, and I, and I sit behind Tegan mm-hmm. uh, because she kindly moves her seat forward because of my fairly. You know, I'm I'm not short. So, okay. Paul, when I'm sitting in the car and we're, we're doing like a like a country trip, which we did a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. I'm I can see you because I'm sitting diagonally opposite, and there's a sort of a break in the seat. And you're you're pretty good at backseat driving, at giving directions, and you know, telling it's good. Hang but on, I think when you, you need when, no, no, a little no. steering wheel. When so you, you say sort of, when you say backseat driving, do you mean giving directions? Yeah, well, That's not the- directions, like. You know, warning people about maybe going a bit too fast here or, you know, just kind of, I think you'd be a good driver and I think you actually should be driving sometimes if you get a license. So you can then, yeah, I think it's cool to share the driving as well. But um, I think as a substitute, if we can get you like, you can buy these little stick on like dashboards with steering wheels and horns. I would love one. Yeah. And then you can have yours and while Tegan's actually driving, you can pretend to be driving. You know what? I'm going to get one. Good. Give me a sense of power. One of the worst backseat drivers and... No, actually, I might rephrase that. But there's <clears throat> no, a I person... Know. Can I guess? I know yep. who it is. Yep. Yeah. Is it your mum? Correct. <clears throat> it's frightening. <laughs> you know what my mother does? She's, she's better now. Yeah, yeah. She's very sweet. She says to me, and I'm going to sort of impersonate her voice to a degree... Yes, John, you are a very, very good driver and I feel particularly safe with you. However, sometimes when I'm driving and I look over to my left, my mother's got her eyes closed, which is how she copes. Hang on, what do you mean she has her eyes closed? That's, that's one of her techniques because she, she's quite nervous as a passenger. Right. Even though she's approaching 90 and she drives, you know, she drives, don't you? I know she drives, yes. I mean... Yeah, and but she sort Wait. of she she shrieks, and we had a bit of an incident uh, a while ago where she screamed. Um, I'm a, I am a good driver, mm. and I was coming towards a set of lights, and she literally yelled, which was the worst thing to do for a driver. It scares the shit out of you. You're thinking, shit, what's what have I just hit someone? Have I hit a, a mother and a baby, or a, have I run over a dog? No, my mother just felt that 
you know, I was perhaps heading towards the red light a little bit too quickly. But and she, but the, it was the the yelling that could have actually caused a car accident. It was so loud and not not appropriate to you know the response was over the top. Mm. So, but Mum's improved. Um, she's you know she's pretty pretty good. Yeah, okay. Uh, she she rates all all drivers. So, oh, you I, mean an Uber with the Uber with yeah, okay. No, but she rates her 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 siblings in order oh. of how good they are at driving. Oh, that's a bit stressful. I'm okay. number one. I'm the best. Yep, of course. I won't tell you about the other three. Sure. Well, look, what I was trying to say, Dad, is that I mean, in answer to this uh, listener's question, in answer to Jean's question, I don't drive. Well, I mean, I you know what it. It feels like there should be a spin-off where you teach me to drive. Honestly, at this point, it feels like there should be a father-son driving show. But we can, I, you know. I would definitely teach you how to drive, Paul. Okay, great. 100%. Um, let me dive into the second question from Gene because I think it's a real keeper. What would be John's best way to hide a body in plain sight? In plain sight? Yes, I'm trying to figure out what that means. I mean, technically- okay, well, look, okay, let's hypothesize and say that I'm an assassin. And being an assassin is pretty cool in that... You don't know the victim, which is really important. We've discussed this a lot in the past, Paul. It helps if you don't know, because that way there are no... They can only use sort of evidence. They can't sort of talk about, you know... Because if you know someone, like imagine you murder um, a member of your family or a friend, it is going to have some, or it should have some, fairly dramatic effect on the way you continue living. You, I don't think a human that is um, that has sort of emotional responses could... In fact, it's so weird you, this question's come about this morning because half an hour ago when I was in the bathroom, I was actually thinking about this very, very topic, Paul, about being an assassin, how it, that's, it helps in that you don't know the person. But if I was an assassin and I was going to kill someone, I would do it in broad daylight... Like a really good place to do it would be if they're on a plane and they're seated and somehow or other you get to kill them on the plane but in such a way that they can kind of get back to their seat. Well, the thing is, there's a point where if there's turbulence, a steward will come over and actually wake you if there's turbulence, right? Mm. At which point you've been rumbled. So you'd want to make sure that it was potentially... You'd maybe want to make sure it was a window seat, but then you've got to get the body past someone. So you would want to... Okay, let's say your mark was sitting in a window seat and you're in a kind of row of three and you are sitting in the middle and that way you've got distance between you and the steward, right? Mm. And you can kind of tilt their head so it looks like you can put one of the eye masks on their faces. But I mean, how do you... Okay, this is a different question, but how do you kill someone? Oh, mate, from behind, you have a sharp object that is not necessarily made of metal, so it got through the all the scanning, but it's in the lining of a coat. Mm. And it only has to be about 12 inches long. And you get a... It can either have sort of a, a like a, a moulded sort of knob at the end, so you can put your hand around it, like clenched fist style, and you simply once in and out through the back of the seat. So it goes through the seat, and those seats are very, very thin in planes... And you then go through. So you would, you when you did it, you'd imagine that they're sitting in the middle of the seat, and you would move either to the left or the right slightly 
I say two and a half, three centimeters, which means you would avoid the spine because that'd be a bit of a stuff up. Because bearing in mind that the object is not, um, it's not metal, so then yes, you've but, got. To... No, but if you get stabbed, you're going to make noise. No, no, right? no, 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 Paul. I, I, I worked with a mercenary. He what? was a police officer, an ex-mercenary, and he used to tell me how they actually used to kill people. And they used to sneak into these camps at night time and his preferred weapon of choice was this spoke from a bicycle. So he would remove one spoke from a bicycle, he would sharpen one end, he would then sneak into the camp at night time and under the glowing sort of moonlight where these people were sleeping, he would actually put his hand down and he could feel the rib cage of the about-to-be-deceased victim and then with one very, very quick in and out with a spike. So he drove the spike into their heart, pulled it out really quickly. The person died, and then in the morning there'd be little or no... You just They just couldn't figure out, particularly out in the, in the jungle, how they died. So that, that, that technique, I've extrapolated some of that information. And then I was thinking about, do you use... Because there are, there are materials, like imagine having a carbon fibre blade or a spike incredibly strong bearing in mind as you drive the spike through the back of the seat you wouldn't want it to break off and you've only got to get the penetration into the skin and then drive it you'd have to have some fairly basic knowledge of anatomy which is very very easy to come by so there's there's you know, you could even use glass. Just think about all the things you could use that didn't register on the um, X-ray machines. And then the person providing they're strapped in—that's the thing. Because if if there's turbulence, the the cabin crew will look down. You know how they sort of walk past and look. Mm. And if they can see that you're strapped in and you've got maybe a, ma- a mask on and you're just asleep, they probably won't wake you until the plane's landing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So, I, 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 it's interesting that this question was, where would you hide a body? And your assumption was, well, I've obviously killed the guy. So, what next? Whereas my thought was, let's say you, I mean, if you found, if you find a body, you have no reason to hide it in plain sight. I guess the the implication is there, right? That you've done something mm. nasty and you need to sort of hide the deed, mm. you know, Um or you could I camouflage mean, the body. How so? Um, you could stick leaves on their body so that they look like they're like a tree monster. Just walking down business class and there's a body down by the oh, window I, seat I, I covered in talking, foliage. Paul, I wasn't talking about the plane. I was talking about out in the out in the forest. Imagine if you murdered someone in a forest, then you tied them onto a tree, lashed them to the trunk, and then stuck lichen and funguses and mushrooms all over them. I mean, that sounds like a craft project, but I think my problem here is uh, in plain sight implies you are in... You know, you are in plain sight. You are somewhere where it is... You know, a plain... Well, plain sight. P-L-A-N-E, that's good. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, so a forest isn't really... I mean, that's just taking a body into the woods, but let's say you're at a party or... You know what, this sub- this subject is super grim. Mm. And honestly, the story about you working with an ex-mercenary who used sharpened bicycle spokes to kill people in their sleep mm. is can a I, little can, bit... <clears throat> can I say something now? I'm going to put this out there to you and the listeners. Now, li- dearest, dearest listeners, if you get to hear the end of this tiny, tiny little titbit in relation to my friend who was a mercenary, if you get to hear what I'm about to say, that's great. But if... If things go a bit quiet, you'll know that Paul has censored this particular uh, bit of information. But, Paul, it's very, very, very interesting. And it's a little bit gross, but we can move on from this shortly. But it's very... I I know that our listeners are going to absolutely find this fascinating. Can you imagine, Paul... I mean, a mercenary's job was, in this particular case, to... these, These were... I don't want to go into it too much, but these were professional soldiers in Australia that basically used to moonlight as mercenaries in a particular country. And there was a particular travel agency in North Sydney that was a front for uh, recruiting mercenaries in Australia back in the 80s. Incredible, unbelievable story. So the objective of the mercenary was actually to execute, um, you know, the opposition because they're, they're sort of paid murderers, assassins. I mean, look what happened in that country a few days ago where all, all those, you know, they've, they've arrested about 15 people. Remember that? When they killed the president? Was it in Haiti? Yeah, and, and they pretended to be drug law enforcement operatives. It's, it's the most extraordinary story. These were paid assassins. They're not just people that answer an ad in a local paper. These are people with 
with skills. You know, they bring to the business certain skills and some of the skills would be, you know, advanced firearm sort of um, abilities. But this particular guy that I knew, he... Okay, this is incredible. Paul, they had to be paid, these mercenaries, for each person they killed. I know this sounds a bit macabre, but let's just go with it. Can you possibly think how these mercenaries would prove to their employer they didn't have mobile phones, they didn't take photos at night time. Can you imagine how they proved how many people they'd killed? I'm guessing ears or teeth. Paul, you're a bloody genius. They used to cut the ears off each person and they'd put them in a bag. And then for every pair of ears the mercenaries would get paid, you know, probably a fair bit of money. But here, believe it or not, Paul, there is actually kind of a macabre yet slightly funny part to this story. Now the listeners are going, hang on, this is just not funny at all. But my friend used to get a lot of extra money. Can you guess how? You can't make this shit up. This is so incredible. I was trying to find, okay, so where does he get extra ears from? And I'm just curious because... Okay, go on. Paul, this is one of the most fascinating and i must admit the first time i heard it i thought that's really ingenious get ready for this he used to get dried apricots and mix them in with the ears i'll piss off he did not true story 100 percent true how good's that but wouldn't you be able to tell no a dried apricot and an ear i mean i i defy anyone well just think, just go with it and think about it. And if you put them in a big bag and give them a shake, yeah. you, you, you're mixing up dried apricots and ears. And I'll tell you what, they look pretty similar. So the assumption is that the person's going to go, yeah, 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 that's plenty because they don't want to touch them because it's icky. Yeah. So, so for every pair yep. of either apricots or um, ears, ears, or so in some combinations, you'd have an ear and an apricot. Oh, sure. It's like a lucky dip. Yeah. No, Paul, Paul, it's so interesting because... Antique dealers that are crooks. Imagine if you have a Thomas Chippendale chair from 1760. One chair from the period is worth a shitload of money. But two chairs, believe it or not, is worth more than twice the value of one. And four chairs is worth... So it's, it's, it's an exponential growth. So the more chairs you have... The, the value becomes, it can go into the hundreds of thousands of pounds. Now, what f- certain sort of nefarious antique dealers do, in particularly in London and the continent, is that they will go to an auction at Sotheby's, Christie's or Bonham's and they will buy six Chippendale chairs of the period, which means they were made in 1760 with incredible provenance, which means they basically can prove with paperwork that they were made for a certain family, they've been in this family, in this house. But what they do is they then get a master, master craftsman to reproduce an identical set. And I'm talking about identical. So what they do is they dismantle the chairs and they recreate but then what they do is they get they dismantle the original chippendale chairs they dismantle the six reproduction chippendale chairs they then put them on like in this in a warehouse or some area where there's a huge huge floor they then get all the pieces and they just mix them up like mixing flour and 
with all the ingredients that make up this amazing, just they keep rolling them and turning them and twisting them and shuffling them and they might do it for half an hour. Then they reconstruct the 12 chairs. Now, when an expert goes to examine these chairs, yeah. they're fucked. They're fucked. They don't know. They can't because, tell. Because they'll be looking over the entire chair and they will see the authentic stuff and go, right. I mean, have you technically, have you potentially blown open a couple of scammers' plans here? Because that is, if I, was a, if I was looking for a forgery and I knew that that was a technique that people used... I think I would change the way I looked for forgeries, right? Mm-hmm. Just like, just like, if, okay, if I was a guy, if I was a, you know, if I was employing and paying mercenaries, you know, at some far-flung part of the world, and I was getting them to pay with, you know, to bring me ears in bags, and I heard this show, I would start looking for dried apricots, right? Mm-hmm. Have you potentially scuppered, you know, a good thing that some people have got going here? And do you feel bad about that? I wouldn't. I mean, you know, these are mercenaries mm. and con artists, so. Mm. Mm. Well, in the world of antiques, there are, there are, there's what's called the ring. Now, I'm not talking about your sphincter. Thank God. So, a ring. Basically, there was a guy in Sydney and he, he went to some flea market, garage sale, sort of boot sale in Sydney. It was in Liverpool which is sort of an, an outer western suburb in Sydney, and he saw an old clock. And it was very, very black. Now, black can indicate that it's actually silver. And he thought it was perhaps silver-plated. But it turns out that this clock was sterling silver, and it was the only one in the world. It had belonged to the royal family in England, mm-hmm. and it had it, it was a commissioned work. So there was a lot of provenance, there was a lot of proof that it had been made for Queen Elizabeth. Sorry, Queen Queen Victoria. Mm. Okay, so this guy he decides through someone in Australia, through sort of a representative, to send it to England. This was an item that should have absolutely done incredibly well, but what happens? with these rings, and as I said, they're mainly in London. That's that's sort of the epicentre, and possibly in some places in Europe. I don't know whether they have them in America. But mm-hmm. what happens is, this was going to be the most extraordinary sale, and all the antique dealers that were going to be bidding on this particular very valuable clock, they have a meeting in a private home prior to the auction, probably days before. They meet in absolute secrecy and they agree that not one of the group, bar one, is going to bid on the clock. When it comes up in the room, all the dealers that would have gone hell for leather to get this exceptionally valuable, super rare, almost priceless clock, with irrefutable provenance, there's only one bidder. Okay, yes, there might be a few private bidders. The the dealers are taking a bit of a punt, but the dealers are the ones that are connected to the high end of town. They're the ones with the contacts. They're the ones that can sell items to the royal family. Okay? Mm. A private person can't. So when they open the bidding, 
there's virtually no interest. So they start super, super low and it goes to one of the men or women in the ring. Then, and people all chip in. They sort of, if there are 10 people in the ring and, for example, let's say it's a 1,000 pounds, each person puts in 100 pounds. Mm -hmm. They then approach perhaps the royal family or the Victoria and Albert Museum. It doesn't matter who, who it is, but it's the absolute top of the tree. And they then sell the clock for, let's say, £500,000. So the poor guy in Sydney gets half of sweet fuck all because of a, a criminal element. Now, when I say criminal element, these, these, are, these are antique dealers. These are, these are people that really are well-connected. So it's called a ring. And it's totally illegal, of course. And... There's something very controversial in our family, Paul, that my mother will probably get the shits if I talk about it, but I'm going oh to. Okay. Do you want me to? Uh, okay. Is it well, going to get us... Are we going to get in trouble? No, but it's just a, it's a very famous family story that to this day pisses me off. Um, okay. And that is that my grandmother had an incredibly valuable violin. And I'm talking incredibly valuable wasn't a Stradivarius, was it? It was on par. It was Cremona. It was a really famous sort of 18th century violin. Yeah. The incredible thing also is that my grandmother said to me, she said, John, if you take up the violin, I will bequeath this violin to you. And as a stupid teenager, oh, one of the biggest, probably one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life was not to take up the violin because I would then have inherited this incredible violin. Anyway, uh, mum and the sisters, they all got together and they sent the violin to London and it went to Bonhams and it sold for about £25,000, which is a joke. It's laughable. It's, it's, it's such a travesty. Uh, and I lament that, that decision. Uh, but it's done. That price was so low and that kind of makes me think that you know did something nefarious happen why did why did the violin sell so cheaply because oh, once it leaves your hands once it goes to another country you know i've had numerous opportunities to send things overseas but the problem is you send it overseas it doesn't sell then the auction house contacts you and says look we're sorry it didn't sell but you, you don't know what's going down you don't. You have no control. Mm. Then you start thinking: Do I really want to go through all the drama of sending it all the way, the way back to Australia? It's been exposed to the market, which means you can't resell it for at least a few years. So you so, get one bite. Well, you get one bite at the apple with this. Correct. Stuff, and so. then the auction house says, "Oh, but by the way, mm. we um, we've had this offer." Which Paul actually, no, fuck it. I'm going to tell you a very, very quick horrific antique story that affected me i purchased many years ago a very 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 rare paddle from about 1820 i bought it on the northern beaches in sydney from the great great grandson of a missionary up in the uh in the pacific when i saw this particular ore and you would have seen it too it was it was mind-blowing and i knew in my heart that this was something incredibly special i paid more than 20 years ago, $1,500 for this paddle. Now, I knew my gut was that it was really special. Now, I took it to one of the leading auction houses in Australia. I took it to a leading expert, and this particular expert said to me, 
I'm so sorry. Um, it's not that good, but um, I might be able to sell it for you privately. And this particular person who's world famous, he managed to get me $3,000 for it, okay? Yep. So I doubled my money. Six months later, get ready for this, listeners, that same ore was on the cover of a Christie's catalogue in Paris where it sold for 170,000 euro, okay? Now, that guy fucking crapped on me. Now, I mentioned that story to someone very high up in the auction world just a few weeks ago, and this person that I mentioned it to was not surprised, was appalled, and felt very sorry for me. Now, that's, that is a story, Paul, where someone absolutely in the power of knowledge and authority crapped on me. And if you think it just happens to me, and I've kind of got a bit of knowledge about antiques, I've been doing mm. it for 40 years, can you imagine all the people out there that get shat on? It's, it's, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, well, for one, you could be, you know, you could be conned into thinking that apricots are ears. You know, people true, get shafted. True. It true. sucks. Well, look, that's all the time we have for this very weird episode of Loose Ends. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We hope you're doing well. Have a great weekend, and we will see you bright and early Tuesday morning for some more Loose Units. Bye. Cheerio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.